0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Meet the Author podcast, sponsored by the Network for Research into Chinese Education Mobilities. I am Tong Meng, Assistant Editor of the Network and researching Chinese international students' social media use.
1: I am Lisa Zhiyunbian, Assistant Editor of the Network and researching on Chinese higher education and social class inequalities.
0: Today, Lisa and I will co-host this podcast. In episode 15, we are delighted to have Dr. Jasper Singh to discuss her latest article titled Benefits of Studying in China, International Students from Top-Tier Chinese Universities Spill the Beans. So today we're delighted to have Dr. Singh with us to discuss her latest article, Benefits of Studying China, International Students from Top-Tier Chinese Universities build the Beans. This article was published on Journal of Further and Higher Education. Could you briefly introduce yourself, please?
2: Hi, Tong. Hi, Lisa. How are you guys doing? Um, so I am Dr. Jasvir Kona nashata Singh. I am a senior lecturer at the Department of Management and Marketing, Latrobe Business School, Latrobe University, Australia. Before I start talking about my research um, expertise, I am a Malaysian, I'm an international academic residing and working in, in Melbourne, Australia. So I have got very particular research interest in higher education, especially exploring international students' lived experiences of their academic success, employability, career aspirations, and also learning experiences. And lately, I've also looked into researching on international academics experiences and also skilled migrant experiences. So, um, And I have um, published numerous articles and I have been presenting at national and international higher education conferences as well. And that's a little bit about me. Yeah, thank you for
0: introduction. Uh, we are very happy that you can join us. So could you please tell us what motivated you to conduct this research on benefits of studying
2: China? All right, now, before I go into talking about what motivated me into doing this research, at Le Trobe, we used to have China Studies Research Center. Um, But it's because of COVID, I think they have taken the center out, if I'm not mistaken. So in that center, they provided grants for academic staff members to research uh, pertaining to China. And being an international academic, I was an international student before at La Trobe University and I did my research, PhD research on exploring postgraduate international students' academic success. So it is important to understand the context that I'm coming from because of being an international student, looking at international student um, research, and reading a lot in, in international education literature. There's a bit of literature that I read coming from Um, not coming from China, but looking at China as international education hub. Previously, China was the sending country, and now it is receiving country. So that really triggered me. I'm like, okay, that's very interesting landscape that, you know, how a sending country now can be a receiving country. And at that point of time in 2000, it started in 2018, so this this research all started in 2018, but I was reading a few articles which came out in 2017. I can't remember now which articles that I, that I read, otherwise I would have quoted them. Um, so And then I saw that, okay, there is a, a gap in, in the literature, a gap in understanding how international students are changing their mindset from going to westernized countries such as Australia, Canada, US, the normal country, but now looking at a non-normal country like China. And I put in a grant um, and and I said that I want to look into international students going to China. At that point of time, I didn't know where to go, what to do. But by reading the articles, I saw two two names came up. One was Professor Hamish Coates. He was from University of Melbourne in in Australia. And then he left for Tsinghua University in Beijing. And uh, I do not know him, but I just emailed him saying that, look, I really want to look into international students coming to China. And you happen to be at the International Education Institute at Jinghua University. I said, I would love to come there and and talk to international students there. And he said, yes, you can come. I'm like, okay, it's a big tick. Then I was reading a paper uh, written by a collaborator as well from Wuhan University. I didn't know these were the best universities in China do not get me that, oh, she must have known. I'm like, no, I do not know. And and she wrote something on international education, international students. Um, Her her name is Lee uh, from Wuhan University. So I contacted her. I said, Lee, um, I'm so-and-so. Would you be kind enough to sponsor me, to host me, so that I can interview international students there? And she said, yes. So it's a big thing. Then I applied for the grant. Then I received a, 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 a lump sum money. Where I could go to China in 2018 pre-pandemic, um, to Wuhan and also to Beijing, and that's how it all started. That's how it motivated me to. And every research I do is coming from my own question: Why? Why are? Why there is a different trend? And all of my research on international uh, students all come from my own question, problem statement, like why there is a trend of change here. So that's what actually motivated me. Um, First, getting the grant heavy. I know there's a research institute uh, on China study. um, And then looking at the collaborators saying, yes, that I can go. Because I know you need to have Guangxi going to China. You need to have the established relationship before I can even step into the institution and also interview students. I know it was very hard for me if I would have gone in alone. Um, And that one, and then the third thing, the most important thing is I saw the gap in the literature and I saw that is a a promising trend that international students are going to China. So yeah, that that would be my answer for that question. Thank you so much.
0: It's really a fascinating story. And I think that's right questions and which can motivate us and can push us forward. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, So what are the key findings of this article? Are there any intriguing or surprising findings?
2: Okay, now in this, look, when I go um, and research, I do not only look at one question. I look at several questions together. So from this project, I have dissected three papers. So this is one of the first papers that came out. By the time I wrote this paper, I knew there were papers out already on international students and why are they coming to China. So I need to uh, coin the paper in a very different way, looking at what are the benefits that they are there. So when I was um, looking into the findings and I'm a qualitative researcher, by the way, I interview students, I interview my participants, I love talking to people and and I I get more stories out of them. So when I was analyzing uh, thematically the the, the findings, and I saw three main themes. why are they going to um, China? So the first one is the benefit of studying in China is around employment prospects. Many students actually wish to stay in China upon graduation for employment purposes. International students are very confident that they will secure jobs in China as opposed to their home or third countries. Now we must understand who are these international students who are coming to these prestigious um, universities in, in China. So I went to Tsinghua and I went to Wuhan University. So I noticed that There are many students coming from Asian region, Malaysia, Indonesia, Singapore. they're also coming from Southeast Asia region, Pakistan, Bangladesh, um, and uh, the Asian country will be Thailand, including Thailand as well. And and there's there's a lot of uh, students coming from uh, um, um, African countries, such as Kenya, Gabon, I've never heard what is Gabon. And from these students, I'm like, oh, there's a country called Gabon? They say yes. Um, And Nigeria, Zimbabwe, Uh, there are also students coming from South America, Colombia, for example, and also from Russia. So these are very, very varied um, students coming to China, especially from third countries. So they view that the employment opportunities are relatively poor poorer in their home countries, so that's why they want to gain um, uh, jobs or employment in China's labor market, but having said that, um, in China, at that point of time, international students cannot work outside of the campus, so if they work, they will be uh, in in the jail, that's what they told me. right but they can work on campus so there are whoever I interviewed and uh, I have to look into how many students that I have interviewed I interviewed 30 students Uh, uh, 17 came from Wuhan 13 came from Tsinghua University now um, most I wouldn't say most I think about one third of them or one fourth of them do work at, at, on, campus, uh, on campus grounds, uh, in the international office, or uh, working uh, or a voluntary uh, uh, in the campus itself. But they are having high hopes that they can uh, get jobs um, at, um, at, at, uh, in, in China. And one more thing, in their courses, they have got this internship where they have to source the internships by themselves. So the, the, the either the international office or the career services are not helping them in sourcing um, internships. They have to do it on their own. So I think that gave them that confidence that, hey, if I can source the internship myself in the country, then I can get jobs in, the, in, in China as well. And, and for them, the growth of China's economy brings more job opportunities with higher salary packages, requires highly skilled migrants to support Um, that economic growth. So that's where they saw that, ah, I can get jobs in in China. On the other side, many students, particularly from Asia and Africa, they aspire to contribute to their home countries through employment opportunities. Many of them mentioned that they want to work in Chinese companies or the government sector or even return to their previous home country positions. Because there are a lot of Chinese companies mushrooming in their respective home countries, and these students want to contribute to their home countries by emulating China's success, especially in the economic growth. So getting employment in China and also in their home country, but working for Chinese uh, state-owned companies back in their home country. The second benefit that they um, talk about is learning Mandarin language. For them, Mandarin learning Mandarin language is very important, especially for undergraduates who are interested in learning this language. Because most of the students that I have interviewed came from Asia, China, sorry, Asia, Europe, and South America. They believe that Mandarin language will be an important business trade language between their home countries and China. And they want to, they did this. The, the best part is they really want to learn Mandarin, it's not that they are forced to. H- having said that, they, you must remember that international students are segregated with the domestic students. So they do not learn Mandarin language in their, uh, in their, in their studies, they learn in English. But they are so enthusiastic that they want to learn Mandarin because... As I have mentioned, they want to become the future ambassadors or leaders representing their home country in future trade and dealings and business investments with um, China. And the third um, benefit is they want to develop significant knowledge, skills, and experience for their career development. They are so amazed how rapidly China has grown in terms of economy, management, business, and investment. So based on this rapid economic development, they want to learn the business tricks and trade, economic policies, management, investment skills, so that they can replicate whatever they have learned in their studies back to bring back home into their home countries. Now although these um, students were undergrad, I, I interviewed undergraduates and also postgraduates um, uh, from uh, Tsinghua and, and Wuhan. Um, yes, uh, 20 were undergraduates uh, and the rest were postgraduates. So they, are, they, they really, especially these undergraduate students, they are aware that the need to contribute to their home country based on the skills learned and international experience acquired from China. So knowledge using that qualification, skills um, learned in the the internship, combine these together, they want to then go back home and um, contribute to their home country. So in wrapping up, there were three benefits. One is uh, learning the Mandarin language. Secondly, is uh, future uh, employment perspective, perspective. And the third one is um, learning um, as much knowledge they can, the skills that they can, and the experience that they can. So these were the key findings of um, this paper.
0: Thank you for introducing these very helpful findings. I think our audience who want to study in China really need to read your article. It will be very helpful. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, So while conducting this research on international students at top tier Chinese universities, was there any interesting anecdote that you can share with us?
2: Look, uh, I think I have interviewed, before going to China, I've interviewed students in Malaysia, in Australia, but I find that international students are going to China are very mature. They know what they want. And, and 20 of them out of 30 were undergraduates. They really know what they want. And if I compare to myself being an undergraduate student, many, many moons, I'm like, I don't even know what I want. But I'm, I'm very, very surprised that they, they chart their career from well very early on, which I think it's, 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 a, it's a very good thing that they, that they have thought about it. And and I think they have really thought, why I want to go to China. Um, so that, that also was a very surprising uh, finding for me. Uh, yes, they got scholarship to go to China. Um, yes, their parents are saying that, you know, go to China. It, it's, a, it's a booming country. But I think it was their own personal motivation as well that has led them to study in China. And when I was interviewing them in 2018, that time, you know, receiving, China has been receiving a lot of international students. There are challenges. Um, Despite these challenges of not getting support from the Chinese universities, especially into uh, assimilating them, especially into providing the career services, um, especially You know, giving them an exposure, like, you know, westernized countries, universities are much more advanced, I would say, but despite these challenges, I'm still surprised that they are still, you know, very enthusiastic. And, and one of them tell me, I cannot compete with Chinese students. They can read and read for 24-7. They don't go and play any sport. I cannot do that. I'm like, don't worry. You don't do that. You do whatever you are here for. You are an international student. Enjoy the campus living. Enjoy the international experience. So yeah, the, the, these are some you know interesting findings that I have um, found.
0: Thank you so much. That's really interesting. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, so, based on your article, do you have any suggestions for international students who plan to go to China for study?
2: Have fun, because you know being an international student has its own uniqueness. And uh, you know, think think why you are coming to China. What are you going to get out of uh, studying in China, and and experience the campus life. Um, you know, if, they, if there are no services provided to you, be the game changer you provide. Like the, the students that I have interviewed, they themselves um, volunteered in in orientation week to help other international students because they were not helped. So I'm like, that. that's a good, very positive attitude of, of the students that I have um, interviewed. Um, that's what I would say, like, you know, Pick your country very wisely, pick your institution very wisely, Um, and why are you there? Why why do you want to study XYZ and not ABC? And and be very open-minded in experiencing international education, that's what I would say. Yes, we are there for one mission, that is to get your qualification. Yes, it's there. But along that journey, it's a journey. It's not a destination. So along the journey, you will learn a lot of things. You will make friends. You know, you will know other cultures. Um, you will be like, yo, oh, this is not in my country. Why is it like that? Like, yeah, you know, we are all international students, so you can understand what what has happened and uh, to us, and that you need to experience. That that's what I would say.
0: Thank you so much. I really like it when you said it's a journey, not destination, you you, you just enjoy it. Thank you so yes. much. And Lisa- are <laughs> here?
1: Yeah. And Lisa also has some questions for you, please, Lisa. Thank you very yes, much. Lisa. Thank you, Dr. Singh. So as you said, China had used to be the standing country, but now there has been increasing number of international students who aims To study and then get a job in China. So, my first question is based on your findings of international students at Chinese universities, what are the practical implications for host country institutions or government policies?
2: Look, based on this paper, it can turn around universities' policies, especially in understanding why international students are there at the first place. International students did not say that they have been to this, this first-year university because of the ranking. They never mentioned that. Yes, they are very proud that they are in these best universities, in, in, in not only in China, but around the world. Yes, they have mentioned that but more importantly, the benefits that they're going to get from it. So the host institutions need to tap on that. They are not here because of your ranking. They are here because they really want to benefit the language. They want to learn the language. They want to get that international experience, knowledge, skills, whatever they can, and also for employment prospect. So in having said that, the services will also need to, need to match. The expectation of the students. Yes, they are at a very uh, early stages of receiving international students. There will be hiccups. Even you know in Western universities, we are still having hiccups. We are, we are still you know career services are not culturally responsive to international students because you know my research is all about employability right now, and and I can see the same you know with South Asian students are saying that, with Chinese students are saying that, Chinese graduates are saying that. So it's coming up again and again that, you know, we are still not getting that career services right. And, and four, because it, it, Chinese institutions are still at a very early stage, um, their acculturation programs need to be in place, um, you know, orientation programs need to be in place, and also, When you are segregating international students and domestic students, it it is a divide. So, there there are classes where they are just international students and domestic, they do not uh, engage among themselves. So, that's what that is a very big challenge. That another paper that I have written hopefully will get published. Um, So, on the challenges that they face in their learning and teaching in Chinese, in these uh, Chinese universities. So that's where it's like, you know, it's very... They said that we come here to experience international life, but now we are just with international students and we do not mingle around with domestic students. So it does have an impact on host institutions in thinking about how to assimilate them, how to provide that um, more knowledge to them, more language services to them and also looking into their job or career um, and helping them in, in that. And for government policy, it, it it's like top down, isn't it? So if the government can, you know, look into why international students are coming to Australia, I mean to, to China, um, so they can, you know, then instruct from top to down that this is what you need to do. And this is what you need to get right that what i have mentioned just now. Okay.
1: thank you very much dr Singh. i know that china has been in the world-class university movement and the chinese government has worked on the so-called double first class university project thank you so much for your valuable advice i think they do you contribute to the government's policy making. You have quite a right that it's not about just about ranking, it's about many aspects of international students' life. So my second question is, um, many of our members are very interested in the publication process. It is great to learn that you are a prolific researcher and also a multi-award winning academic staff. So apart from this article, you have also published three articles about Chinese graduates from Australian universities and their employability issues. Could you please Please share how you went about writing and publishing these articles. What are the highlights or challenges of getting them published?
2: A lot of tears, a lot of sweat. Look, um, because we had uh, this uh, China Studies Research Centre, LATRO, and again, in 2017, uh, for this project on Chinese graduates, got a, a, a grant from them. And again, uh, because I tutor at Monash at and, and University of Melbourne at La Trobe before I became a, a full-time academic at La Trobe. And I always asked this question to my students, and most of them were, were international Chinese students. I said, Okay, what are your career plans? And they said, Oh, you know, Australia is a land of opportunity. I really want to stay here. Fine. Every year I asked the same question. The last Three four years, I was getting very different answers. They said, "No, we want to go back home to China." I'm like, "Huh? Why?" And 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 you know, I couldn't get a good answer from them. That's where then I started asking. I, I started applying for the grant and wanted to ask why Chinese graduates are going back home. And that's where the three articles came in. So the first article is talking about why did they rep- repatriate? So there was a push and pull factor that push factor from Australia's side is the employers are not employing them because they have got no English accent and because they have got no related work experience. The pull factor from China was because you know you have got that one child policy, I know it's abolished now, uh, so um, be- their parents pressure that they say um, you know being for very colic Uh, collectivistic community where you are supposed to take care of your parents and your grandparents. In Malaysia, it's like that. So I totally understand. Um, So that's why they had to go back. And also China is a booming um, economy. So the parents are influencing them, saying that, hey, you can get a job here as well. So that was my first article. Then the second article came about what are their challenges in getting employed in China. That's where we got to know that Previous studies talked about, oh, when you go back to China with international qualification, you will have a lot of money, a lot of salary. No, it was not the case. Because over the years, the labor market has saturated. Um, a lot of domestic Chinese students are coming up, are graduating. A lot of international graduates, graduates are going back to China. So there was a market saturation that Then they realized, oh, my God, this is not as easy. As what you know, previous graduates have experienced where with international education uh, qualification, you can wear, you can you know, f- have a magic wand and say, ah, oh, I'm an international graduate, give me more money, no more. Um, so they they say because of lack of guangxi, because they have left China for a long, long time, three to five years. So it's very hard for them to get. And, and, and we know in China it's all about relationship-based. And um, so that was one of the main um challenges that they, they that they face. And then the second challenge is limited prior working experience because they are in overseas, they do not have local working experience. So the employees are like, oh, maybe you wouldn't know how to work in China right now because you were um, overseas. Then I also talked about the factors that they got employment. Um, And and they were talking about, you know, um, human capital qualification being number one. And then also because yes, they do not have that quantity. Uh, they have got auntie uncle neighbor grandpa grandma every every you know village is giving them context to to get into uh, uh, employment and some of them said that i just applied on my own uh, because someone say my cousin said you know there's a job there and they said that i applied on my own i did not get any recommendation so they there were varied um, factors that got them that 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 jobs as I mentioned, in 2017, I went to China in Shanghai and Beijing for that project um, and interviewed La Troupe um, and graduates 2017 and now it's 2022. I think I took about four years to publish all the three papers. Uh, so now I can, you know, that that project is now closed. How did I publish that? Perseverance. Um always um you know, it's the back of your mind, you need to publish, you need to publish. And I like to be, I'm a very structured person. Once I finish my my project, then I can go on to another project. So that was, uh, you know, a a determining time for me, like, you know, you have to finish this. And COVID happened. That I had more time to sit down and write my papers. That's where all my, most of my papers were being accepted. Uh, by, by journals uh, from 2020 to 2021 because I don't have to go to campus. I can you know teach online, I can work at night, I'm like just roll over. Oh, my, my, my table is there so I can just write. So I, I guess it's perseverance, and COVID did a good thing in terms of my, my, my publishing um, um, trajectory. And I'm not a pro- prolific researcher. I'm still early career researcher trying to make um, my... My 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 project valuable, impactful on on society. Um, yes, we have to publish, but I'm I want to go beyond publishing. I want to have impact on on international students' lives and inter- international graduates' lives. Um, that's what I would say. How did I get those publishes? Like um, time persever. Um, I look at a time. Where you are just writing for me, I block like October, November, December. December I go back home. January I go back home. So those were the three months that I really write and write. And then when I come back to Australia, uh, in February I write again because March during semesters I cannot write. I've got teaching to do. I've got admin to do. That's what I have noticed. And then whatever, but I some of them told me that you know you might want to block every day an hour i just can't do it i need i need like 3 4 days block to to really look into my writing and read and write again and read and write again yeah you have to do a lot of readings as well
1: yeah some tips ahead. Yeah, thank you so much Dr. Singh for sharing your publishing journey and the importance of perseverance. They are quite useful for us as well. We should digest on your advice. My third question is, you have a great record of research outputs, not only on international students, but also on academic mobility and employability. Congratulations on your recently published book, Academic Mobility and International Academics, Challenges and Opportunities what suggestions you might have for early career international academics who are interested in working outside of their home country?
2: Thank you so much um, for the wishes, um, Lisa. Um, This project actually took off in 2020, where I am an international academic and I I, I, I am an an early career researcher or academic. As an international academic, it is very hard uh, working in in a country which is not your home country. You need to learn the context of it. Why I'm in Australia is because during my PhD, I got married to someone who is living in in Australia, unfortunately, so I have to now stay in Australia. Um, Having said that, I had to navigate a lot of things, um, culturally, context, um, how to publish, how to teach. Yes, I have had teaching experiences, but being a a contract staff and then after that, continuing staff or full-time employee is different. Uh, Pressure is there for you to publish. Pressure is there for you to do well. But there's no one understanding your your challenges because they are not from your country. They are not cultural. They're, very, they're, they're, they're Australian, so they wouldn't understand what I, I was going through. There was no one to talk about how to apply for grant. I learned how to apply for grants from rubbish bin, because I saw a grant application, which was thrown in a rubbish bin, and I picked it up, and I'm like, oh, this is how you learn how to write grant. Okay, fine. So it that's where I started off. I finished my PhD in 2015, December. I started. As a contract uh, lecturer in two thousand sixteen July, and in two thousand sixteen July, that's where that I found how to write grant, and there was no helping hand or there was no go-to person because my supervisors, um, one of them left the university, the Latrobe University, and one of them died um, during my PhD, so I was very close to her. To her, um, so I had no one, no mentor, nothing. It's all written in the book, in, in, in the book that you have mentioned. And one of the chapters is my chapter. So my advice would be if you want to work in an overseas institution, you need to first find out your network there. So it's all who you know. It's not what you know. So if you know, if you know there is someone at XYZ University, try to find out more. Um, how is the university like? How is the management like? Do they have support for ECRs? Um, what kind of support do they have? Uh, will I be uh, thriving or will I be just surviving in the context, in the very very new context to me? That would be my first suggestion. Look into your network and ask a lot of questions where if you want to work outside of your um, country. And if you have a, a, another thing is you might want to do a short mobility program uh, to just you know, experience um, there is one chapter on short mobility in, in the book uh, by Jun Song uh, Jisun, Jisun from Hong Kong University. Um, so if you read that, that chapter, then you can get more insights like you know, why did she come to Australia? Uh, what did she learn uh, on that short mobility program? So as an ECR, you might want to take that on a fellowship. For example, just attach yourself to XYZ University for XYZ duration. See whether you like it or not, rather than going for a very long um, period of time. Another thing is, I don't like to use this word, but you have to be very strategic. Why are you leaving your home country? Why are you leaving for that institution in the host country? What is, how is it going to benefit you in the future in your career development and in your career management? So like myself, I was forced to stay here. But if you have uh, you know, a chance to go, then these are the things that you need to think. If, let's say, if you're in my position, forced to stay here, you need to look into uh, the context as well. Uh, like I graduated from the Latrobe, I knew the head of department. I got a job because of the network. So that's why I always stress network, get you to know people, be kind, uh, be be very, very kind. People, I've never had no. Whenever I ask from anyone, like, you know, can you help me with this publication or can you guide me? People are very generous, I would say. Unless it, they will say no because they got no time, and that's fine. Everyone is busy. Or they will say that, look, I, I'm only free at X, Y, Z time. Maybe contact me then. That's fine, too. But it's just that they have that habit of asking. We come from Asia. We do not have the habit of asking because, yes, can scared. They might say no. And I have changed that mindset. I'm like, it's okay. The worst thing, like my husband always said, the worst thing is no. So move on. Right? Um, so, you know, as an early career researcher, I used to go for every workshop offered and on campus that time at Latoo because I want to know oh, okay, how do people work here? How do people publish? How do people talk? How do people, uh, you know, extravagant they are? Because we come from a very humble society. We do not talk about our achievement. But in Australia and the UK, you have to. It's very hard, I know. but. Humbly, you can do it very humbly. And talk, talk about your findings and the implications of your findings. And, and people like that. It's just not, oh, I published in ABDC a, a or I have ranked a Q1. Or so what's the point? So the the, the 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 thing is, if you are kind, kindness will come to you. And if you're positive, positiveness will come to you. And 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 I have and I that's what I would say, like, you know, network, 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 and and get to know where you want to go, who you want to work with. That's very important. So to know more, read the book, please.
1: Thank you very much for your fascinating advice, especially for us who come from Asia culture. Thank you for your a uh, life story sharing. Yeah. Uh, next question is what are your plan or next steps for your research project? Uh,
2: right now I have got five projects running together. So wow. that's enough. I cannot take on more. So projects on South Asian students and graduates employability from UK and Australia. So I'm doing the comparison with my Met- uh, Metrop- uh, Manchester Metropolitan University collaborator. Um, She's a lovely person, Hannah Holmes, and I'm also collaborating with someone from the University of Edinburgh um, on um, extracurricular activities, uh, uh, um, impacting the employability that this project is going on. I'm also looking into highly skilled migrant um, experiences, which is another pet project of mine. Uh, another one is on invisible academic staff uh, members who were employed during uh, COVID nineteen and what shock that they have gotten. You know, they thought that they will go to X Y Z country, but they are still in their home country teaching from their home country. Uh, yeah, that is uh, from a, a very good friend of mine, Dr. Amrita from uh, from China. Uh, we We Can University. That's a, a, a U.S. Uh, China university. Um, so she she and I are collaborating on that project. Uh, another one I can't remember. That's enough. Yeah. So there are like, you know, that they, there's so many projects going on. So I, I just, yeah, what to pick and what not to pick. So that will keep me busy for another two, three years.
1: They
2: are all my- project on, on Chinese international students and Chinese graduates. Um, I want to go big. I'm not a quantitative researcher, so I need someone who has got that quantitative expertise to join me, to collaborate with me, uh, to to seek more um, into international students' um, experiences in, in, in China. But as a qualitative researcher, I just cannot do it alone. So to go big, I need a quantitative researcher. So anyone out there, or even you both, who, wants to, who want to who learn to collaborate with me with quantitative skills more and more so welcome on the project, then we can work together. That's from me.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. They are all very worthwhile studies. Best luck with your projects, five projects. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, is there anything else you would like to share with us today?
2: I'll end with this. Um, positive note that success do not come easily. And uh, perseverance, hard work, being kind, being honest, um, all come into play. And that will lead to to success. And success not getting XYZ publication, success not getting XYZ grant, but what impact that you have had on people, on your research participants, on the, on the um, context uh, that that you are um, researching in. That's what success is for me. Success for you might be different. Um, but whatever it is, success does not come easily, um, especially for international academics like myself. I don't know about others, but I, I went through a, a journey and a ride. And would I exchange that for anything? No, because that had made me, that had that those experiences are so valuable that if I would have got a very linear journey, um, then it's no, life is very boring, not spicy. So, you know, I have got a little bit of chili, a little bit of sweet chili, a little bit of tomato ketchup. So that, that makes life. And, you know, if you are there, if you are a postgraduate international student on, or a recent postgraduate international, international graduate, hang in there, something will come. Um, along your way, and that's, yeah, I'll end that with that note.
1: Thank you very much for your very kind uh, suggestions, uh, sharings, and for your kind contribution to our network. We are delighted to have this opportunity to listen to Dr. Jasbir Singh about her intriguing research journey and key findings about benefits of studying in China. We thank her for sharing invaluable insights into the article publishing process and suggestions for early career international academics. We wish all the best with her future research projects. Thank you all.